Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 12. I don't know why, but in high school, I went to Lanfair High School, and my last year at Lanfair High School, I decided to go out for cross country. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I just hate running. I mean, there's, but, you know, the idea of going out and pushing your body to the limits and keep pushing and pushing and pushing in the sun, just doesn't that sound fun? And for some reason, I did. We had a great coach. He was a fabulous coach. Matter of fact, uh, in, in our state, in Illinois, we had probably some of the best cross-country runners in the whole nation. Matter of fact, I was second string. That's how good I was. Okay? So second string means you're bad. No. <laughs> you're not first string. I was second string, and my ra- I ran a 16:26 5K, which would have won the state of Montana if I would have been running in Montana. But I was running in Illinois, and in Illinois, I think it was like... 12 minutes or 11, it was amazing. The guy who won that year is phenomenal, just out of this world. So it was just incredible. But so for some reason, I joined in. And what is it about running? There's, you think about it, you think it's easy. Well, no, there's actually a lot of discipline. There's a lot of preparation. You want to eat the right things. And even as you run, there's a lot of psychological game going on. Because I can remember running thinking, where's a hole that I can hurt my ankle and tell coach I can't make it anymore? (laughs) Uh, You really do. You think those things. Running the race. That's it. When we get to Hebrews 12, the theme that we're going to have for us this morning is this. That as a Christian, you are to run the race of faith, faithfully focused on Christ. I'll say that again. Christian, you need to run the race of faith, faithfully focused focused on Christ. I want you to notice in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and we went through Hebrews in our church in Brazil, and it was the last thing I preached to the church before I left it. And the reason why is because I feel like the book of Hebrews is just always talking about Jesus, the greatest relationship. See, I think it was written to weak Jewish Christians that had a problem with the supremacy of Jesus. And as you go through the book, you see that. He talks about how Jesus is supreme over angels and how he's supreme over Moses and how he's supreme over the Levitical system. And he's supreme. He is the supreme sacrifice. He is a supreme priest. And that we can what? Trust him. Your most important relationship in your life is with who? Jesus. And, you know, as I get older and, you know, my body's reminding me that I'm getting older, I'm reminded constantly that my greatest relationship is Jesus. It's all about him. For me to live is Christ. And so as we get to the book of Hebrews, I wanted our people in Brazil to just be in love with Jesus and recognize he's the most important thing that we should always be focusing on. So first thing I want us to notice in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, is this. The realities of running the race of faith. The realities, some realities. He does an interesting thing in verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Look at what he says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first reality is this. I want us to recognize the comparison here. I want you to see the comparison that he says that running the race is compared to. What is that compared to? You know, are we to get out and go running now? 
right after church? Are we to all stretch and, and, and do, what do you call that? What do you call it? In Portuguese, it's called longamento. What is this called? You're stretching your body. Calisthenics, is that it? Is that what the word is? How about that? Calisthenics. <laughs> Are we to do calisthenics and then we all start making it run a block around and go down to the park? Is that what God is saying here? Run the race. No, he's making a comparison, isn't he? There are many times in the New Testament that running is compared to your life. Paul does that. Let's look real quick. Keep one finger here in Hebrews, and let's go to Galatians. Galatians, a little earlier than Hebrews. If you're in Brazil, we would remind you exactly where it's at. But you guys know your Bible, don't you? So you know that it's right after 2 Corinthians, you got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then you get to Galatians, and after it's Ephesians. All right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 says what? Paul's talking to the church and he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So notice in the verse, running is compared to what? Obeying the the truth. So if you obey God's word, you're running. See that? All right. First Corinthians. Go to First Corinthians. You're in Galatians. There's Second Corinthians. Now go to First Corinthians. First Corinthians 9. Look at verse, verses 24 through 26. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 26 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race are run, but only one receives the prize? So there he's talking about the races back in those days, you know. They would understand the Greeks, they had the Olympics, they had all that stuff, right? And so they understood what it meant to have a race and have one who runs and gets the prize. But then he says, for the Christian church, run in such a way that you may win. So... Is he telling the Christian church, get in the race and run? No, he's talking about a comparison to your Christian life. Because watch what he says. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Paul says, hey... My Christian ministry is my race. And I want to run it with discipline. And I want to make sure I bring my body in self-control. Because I want to do it to win for God's glory and for God's honor. Well, let me ask you this. Is, uh, is, he saying, is Paul saying that there's only one of us that's going to win a prize from God? Because in the real world, right, how many gold medals are given out? Just one, right? But no, in the, in the Christian race, we all can win together. Isn't that true? We all can. It's a little different, the comparison there. But it's like the uh, Special Olympics. Don't they have the Special Olympics? And one time in the Special Olympics, they had the 100-yard dash. And as they took off and running, one guy fell down. And he started to cry. And as he did, the other guy stopped and came back and picked him up. And they held each other's arms and ran together to finish the race together. Wasn't that beautiful? I mean, would that have happened in the normal, uh, the normal physical body? No, none of us would have stopped. We would have said, good, I'm glad Bolt's on the ground. No, you know what I mean? Woo, I finally will win one. 
No, but what a beautiful imagery for us that we can all run together and win together. Paul tried to encourage Timothy and said, hey, at the end of my life here at 2 Timothy 4.7, what did he say? Remember that phrase? He compared his life and he said this, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the what? The course or the race. I've kept the faith. See that? I've kept the faith. He said something about a race, a course, and he says keeping the faith. So what is it? The comparison is what? That running the race is a race not literally physically where we're going out on a track. It is the life of faith. A life of faith. I want you to notice another reality of running the race back in Hebrews 12. It's that when he says, let us run, he's saying that in a command. It is a command. So first we see a comparison, we see it as a command. So it's not any suggestion. It's not like, should I run or should I not? If Jesus Christ died for your sin, rose again, and gave you eternal life, you are in the race. You're in it. And so the author here is saying, you're in it. This is the command. Now run it. Okay? And the run here is in the present tense, so it's the idea that we are constantly running. Well, not like you guys in America. You guys are always running, aren't you? Not that way. You know, you call someone up, oh, I'm sorry, Roger, I got a lot of running around to do today. It's not that type of running. Remember, it's back to we need to be running where? Living a life of faith. So we don't just say, I'm going to run on Sunday, but not on Monday. No. We run every day. Because every day you should have who in your heart? It is not I who live, but Jesus who lives in in me, right? So every day is a day that we are to be running the race of faith. It is a command. And it is interesting. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, let us run with what? See that word? With endurance. Listen, that's a word gives me the idea of continuation. So see, I got my other C in there. I got first comparison and command, and now we have continuation. We are to run continually. And it's not like a sprint, okay? It is like a long-distance run. You know, I was in uh, uh, Rio de Janeiro for the Olympics in 2016. And for some reason, I thought I wasn't going to go. Actually, I wasn't planning on going. I got to my church in Marseille. You got to understand, Rio is way down here, and Marseille is way up here. And it's like a, a two-day drive, Maybe. <laughs> depends on how well the roads are and what's going on in the roads and the highways okay so when I got to Montreal actually I was here in the states and some of I think some of you asked me here even I was came through real quick dropping off one of my sons and someone said to me hey are you going to the Olympics and I said no way man I don't want to go around that crowd I don't want to be around there I get back to Montreal and I find out that all my men are going where <laughs> to the Olympics and I said well let's do this let's go and let's have a men's retreat in Rio. 
because we had a member from our church move to Rio, and he had a place there. So we ended up, we called him up. He's a single guy, so we could do that. And we said, hey, we're all coming to your house and sleeping in your house. <laughs> it was all just a bunch of men. And so we had, it was an awesome time. It was incredible. I was just, afterwards I thought, why did I not take Jonathan, my older son, with me? What a great experience. But we ended up going, and, and we didn't have a lot of money, so we went to one of those high, incredible games called handball. You ever heard of that? I never heard of it until I went to Brazil, and I thought, what a terrible game. That's actually in the Olympics. <laughs> but we didn't have a lot of money, but we did. Somehow, we got into a, a session where the 100-yard dash was being run. It was the early heats, and guess who was running? Yeah. The most, one of the most charismatic athletes you'll ever see in Brazil, at least. His name was Bolt, okay, the fastest guy on, on the planet. This guy, I want you to tell you, the crowd, the, the stadium is just full of people just going, ah. He comes in, and he gets down in position, and the camera's right on him, right? And he does this. And I'm gonna, I just, I've been in Brazil 25 years, okay? Just doing this to Brazilians, they'll be like laughing at you and keep talking and doing whatever they want to do. Brazilians just don't, they don't have that mindset to get quiet, okay? They just have, they do whatever they want. I've been to many places where priests were pre speaking or even other pastors speaking and people were just talking everywhere. No one was paying respects. But somehow when Bolt did that, the hush came over the crowd. It was amazing. I, I was like... Wow, this guy could be the Antichrist. No, I mean, I, I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy has power. And then the boom, you know, the, the gun goes off and he takes off and then he does his little thing where he looks back, yawns a little, and then he, he does what he needs to do to win. And he gets done, and he's done, right? And how long does it take him to do that? Less than 10 seconds? Yeah, really fast. That's not the kind of race that God is calling us to. God is calling us to the long-distance race, the one where we have to have a lot of endurance. It's the race that where you're going to want to stop, like I said when I was running cross-country. Where's the hole? I want to hit my foot. I want to hurt. It's just it's so strenuous. And isn't that true? Is the Christian life easy to do all the time? Or is it a struggle? I don't know about you, but for me, it's a struggle. Someone asked me, what's the hardest thing in Brazil for you to face? And I told him, it's my flesh. The hardest thing in Brazil is not persecution from the Catholic Church or spiritism. No, you know what the hardest thing for me in Brazil? It is my flesh. If I can get over self, life would be a lot better. Isn't that true? We have some enemies and real enemies. One is the flesh, but one is also the devil, and he uses every system to knock us off the course, guys. And we have to remember, no, we need to run with endurance. We need to be persistent. And that's why I put in the theme, the word faithful. We as Christians need to run the race of faith faithfully, constantly, continuously. And when you fall down, you know what you need to do? Get back up and keep running. See, the enemy, he wants you to fall down and stay down. But when you fall down, you have to get back up and keep going. Well, verse 1, at the very end it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is what? 
set before us. Interesting. So I see the course. The realities of running the race of faith is that it's a comparison to, the, to your Christian life. It's a command. We have to do it. It's continuous. It's endurance. So it's, it's not the short sprint. It's going to be a long haul. And we might fall, but we need to get back up and keep going. And it's the course that's set. It's a course that is set before us. I think that's an interesting phrase there. The race that is set before us. Why do I find that interesting? Because in verse 2, he talks about Jesus. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. Look at that. Set before him. So look at this. The course that you have to run, of course, is to run by faith. But it is a course that Jesus, when his course was given to him, it was a joy, right? Now think about Jesus. His course was to have three years and a half walking with guys. And he even said this, I don't have a place to set my what? My head to sleep. And he was push, push, and there were some times that the pressure was so large that Jesus had to get into a boat and get away from the crowds to teach the crowds. And you say, well, that's not the hard part. Well, I know that, but, I, but there's a lot of hard things in Jesus' life before the hardest thing, and that is the cross. Let me say this to you. What course has God given you? You know, it's the course set before you. Like Sarah Summers right now has a course that's a little different than us right now, doesn't she? She's facing a race that's a little different. And see, that's why we can't compare to one another. We should never do that. Man, I'm running better than her or him and that. No, we all have our course. You understand? God has his unique reasons for what he's doing in your life and for where you're at in your life. He has the influence and the spheres of influence that you have for that reason. He made me a missionary in Brazil for a reason. He made Michael to be a missionary in Turkey for another reason. I mean, look, even he's got the beard of a turkey, right? He's ready to go, that guy. There's a reason for that, right? And there's, the course is set before you. Let me ask you this. Who set it before you? Who gave you the course? That's right. God. God doesn't go, whoa, I can't believe that just happened to Sarah. Where did that sickness come from? Did God do that? No, God's not shocked. God's in full control. He's got the plan. And that's why we need to what? Run the race by faith. Trust. That's why Jesus said it was a joy set before him. Why is it a joy? Because, yeah, even there's a little bit of suffering, and even in, in my cross-country experience, we suffered a little bit and running hills and, and all that. But you know what you feel afterwards? Whew, you feel really good. Guess what? When we all get to heaven, guess what you're going to feel? You're going to feel really good. Really good. Go to Psalm 16 and see how good you'll feel. Not right now, but later. <laughs> So we see that. These are some of the realities of the race of faith. It is that it's a life that we are to live, and it's a life that we must do constantly, and we have to do it according to the course that God has given to us. We can't sit there and be jealous and wish we had his course or her course. We have to take what course has been given before us. Now I want us to see the responsibilities, the responsibilities of running the race of faith. The responsibilities, we see it right there in verse 1. We read it. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run. What does that mean? 
this crowd. It, here is what he's saying. The first responsibility for us of running the race of faith faithfully is that we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to go into the battle of our mind, and we need to take captive our thoughts, and we need to bring those thoughts, and we need to, we can, we, we can bring those thoughts to what? We, to remembering the Old Testament saints. Because he says that, he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Who is this cloud of witnesses? Who is this? Well, it's chapter 11. And in chapter 11, uh, he starts off saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. What old? In the Old Testament. He goes and talks about 16 different individuals. He talks about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, a woman, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, a prostitute. Look at that. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and he says the prophets, and he makes insinuations, and he talks about the experiences they had. Listen, I challenge you, if you're down and depressed, to read chapter 11 and continue to be depressed. I challenge you. It is amazing what these individuals went through, being sawed in two for the Lord, going through hard persecution for the Lord. And in verse 38, look what God says about these men and these women. In verse 38, he says, Men of whom the world was not what? Was not worthy. See, the world was rejecting these men and these women, these faithful people of God. And the prophet and these people are not known and not important and never make the front of magazines. But I'll tell you what, in God's record of Hall of Faith, he says, These people who walk by faith, who live by faith, the world is not worthy of them. Interesting, isn't it? That's an amazing statement. So we need to remember, you know, when I used to work for Covan Moving Company. You ever heard of it? It's there in Kansas City. I did it for in between semesters. Crystal and I just got married, and I said, hey, I got an opportunity um, to uh, work a job, but I probably won't see you very often. I'll have two weeks off during the summer. We'll see each other then. She said, I said, I'll pay the bills. And she said, okay, let's pay the bills. So I'd leave the house, and she was in bed. And I'd come home, and she was in bed. I thought, man, did she ever get out of bed? No. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that was my work day. It was just a long day, but it was great. But in, in a moving companies, moving company, I don't know if you've ever worked for a moving company, you don't get some of the best and brightest people in the world. I don't know if you know that. I mean, I was working there. No. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we get some people who are really down and out about life. I mean, smoking a little weed's not a problem. Messing around and doing things in the world's not a problem. Matter of fact, it's encouraged. Put it this way, I was invited to a party, and it was a, a bad party. I didn't go, obviously. But invited to a party where it was everybody do whatever you want with each other, even with the wife and husband or whatever. It was just crazy. And these people are just constantly about the things of the, of, of the flesh. And as I'm walking around Covan and working, what encouraged me was to look and see another brother from the seminary who was there being faithful to God. I can remember one guy, Chad, just sharing his testimony with these guys, sharing about the Lord and these guys listening to him. And what did that do to me? It encouraged me to continue to be what? Faithful, right? 
So when we remember others, it encourages us to be faithful. When we read about others, it encourages us to be faithful. Paul even says that in, uh, he says in Philippians 4, 9. He says, look there real fast. Turn back, you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. In Philippians 4, 9, he says, the things you have learned and received and heard, and look at this, and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's so important for us to remember, remember others that are in the race with us. I mean, that's even what he says in Hebrews 12, 1, doesn't it? He says, let us run the race. Us. We're together. We're in this, not alone. So when you're down and discouraged at home and you don't know what to do, call the brother in the church and be encouraged by one another. You feel like nobody cares, call somebody in the church and talk to them about what you're feeling. Be encouraged in your faith. That's what it means to be a body. That's what he's saying, let us run together. Matter of fact, in chapter 10 in Hebrews, what did he say? Look there real fast. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says this. And let us consider how to what? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, we need to remember we're not alone. There's a great little song. I don't know if you know it. I don't know if it, <laughs> it's only got one little line that's kind of cheapy. Not bad, just cheapy. It's a Christian song. It talks about, you're not alone. You know, you know that song? No? You don't know that song? I'm alone on that. I got it from someone else, though. All right. It's a great song. I played it for you once. You liked it, didn't you? Do you play it every once in a while? Yes. <laughs> it's encouraging, isn't it? No, just one line where it's <laughs> Just one line. <laughs> Talks about our depravity. <laughs> Okay, all right, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but what it is is this, we are not alone, are we? And in America, sometimes we try to do everything alone. You know, we're the Lone Ranger and all that, and we just got to pull up our boots. We're independent spirits, and we got to remember, no, we're not alone. That's why I visit people cold turkey in America. They're like, that's rude, you can't do that. Why? If it's rude, what are you talking about? A pastor visiting you and it's rude? How many times do you get a pastor from a church of 450 visit you? You know, I go to someone's house and they don't like that I'm there. There's something wrong. And we're going to have to deal with it because we're not alone. We run the race together. And we'd encourage each other to be faithfully, right? So we need to remember we remember those who've gone before us. Now remember, listen, this witnessing of theirs, they're not standing around. We don't get to heaven and people are looking down and seeing how well we're doing. That's not what the idea here is. The idea is that they are witnessing of how they ran to us. Okay? Let's move on. Verse 1 still says what more? It says, let us also lay aside. So I see that we need to remember our response to running the race of faith. We need to remember those who've run before us, who run with us. And we need to relinquish. We need to lay aside. We need to put off. What are the things we need to put off? Well, he says it there. 
Right, look at verse 1. He says, let us lay aside every, every encumbrance. Does somebody else have a different word in your translation? Weight, weight. The idea is that we got a little extra mass going on, okay? And we need to get it down. That little extra mass we, won't help us. I want you to notice something here. Is it wrong to have a little extra mass on your belly? Is it sin? Don't answer. Okay? You used to say, well, it depends. It depends how you got it. Well, maybe, maybe we're getting technical. What I'm saying here is, I don't think the author is talking about necessary sinful things. Okay? He says, every encumbrance. The idea is that an athlete would shed himself from clothing to make himself lighter. Is clothing bad? No, clothing is good. But let me tell you this. I'm not going to put on a three-piece suit to run a marathon. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? Matter of fact, athletes that are so concerned about timing and weight, you know what they even do? Some of these guys even shave their legs. Isn't that crazy? You didn't do that, did you? Pole vaulting? One time? Okay. <laughs> did it help you get up higher? <laughs> it probably did, see? Because <laughs> all those things count, don't they? they? That's why they do it. They get rid of what is necessary to make you run better. Okay? So what I'm saying here, and I believe what he's saying here is, sometimes, folks, we're involved with good things in life, but it's not the best for that moment. And we need to learn to discern what is going on in my life and what is actually keeping me from running the race of faith better. And I need to evaluate that. And I need to see maybe there are certain priorities. Maybe there are certain decisions I've made. Maybe certain things that come up and, and we have to make certain decisions. I need to evaluate what is going to keep me from running the race faithfully and better. And I need to take that off. But then he says, he says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the what? The sin. The sin. Well, I believe the sin that he's talking about here in the book of Hebrews is the lack of faith. It is not disbelief. It is unbelief. It is disbelief is a person who decides not to believe regardless of the evidences. But someone that resides in unbelief is the one that's lacking the faith. Remember that man that Jesus came up to and he said, Jesus said, you got to have faith. And he says, I, I, I'm lacking faith. Help me with my faith, Lord. Listen. It is sin to not trust God with your life. You say, well, I trust him with my eternal life. It's interesting. And Pastor Mike has always said this, and I love it. He says, we'll, we'll come to God with eternal life and give it to him. I mean, we, I mean, we have to. I got to trust him completely. There's nothing we can do about it, right? But with our simple life, we don't come to God. We come with one hand maybe and keep the other part back here, don't we? We just don't trust him completely in some areas of our life. In the book of Hebrews, he's talking about it. He talks it over and over, and he he emphasizes to him, chapter 3, he says, do not reside in disbelief. And in chapter 6, he says, we need to press on to maturity. Look in chapter 10, what he says about 
the belief and the confidence and the trust that the Christian must have. In chapter 10, verse 19, starting there, he says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, look what he says in verse 22, let us draw near with what? A sincere heart in what? Full assurance of faith. Don't ever doubt Jesus is what he's saying. Jesus will allow you to talk to the Father. Jesus allows you to be forgiven of all your sins. Jesus is your confidence that everything was going to be all right, especially at the end, in eternity. Jesus, we must trust. And that's what he's trying to do. And these people are struggling because they, they had the, the Jewish system and all the Levitical system. And they're thinking going back. And maybe, maybe some of you have thought that too. Man, I used to be, believe in baptism, regeneration. Or maybe I believed in another system of beliefs in the, in the church that I grew up. And you're, you're floundering. And, and the book of Hebrews is saying, no, trust in Jesus. As we say, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing more. Right? He is sufficient. To save us eternally. And he is sufficient to take care of us daily. See that? In chapter 10, he said it like this in verse 35. Look at this. Therefore, do not throw away your, what? Confidence. Which has, what's it have? Look at that, verse 35. Great reward. <laughs> In verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what is the sin? The sin is lacking in trusting God. A man was meeting with a pastor, and he didn't want to go back to his wife. He hated his wife. And the pastor said, okay, yeah, God wants you to be happy, so go ahead and leave your wife. Is that what he said? Well, if he said that, he'd be a terrible pastor. But as a pastor, he trusts the Bible and the Word of God. And he says, he said, brother, you're going to have to go back. And you're going to have to love your wife unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly. And the guy, mm, mm, struggling, see, because he had a girlfriend already. But he got saved. That's a true story. This guy had a girlfriend. And... Pastor found out he was actually married, met with them, and he wanted to stay with who? The girlfriend. And so the pastor showed him, you got to be back with who? With your wife. And the guy praised the Lord, finally, after the scriptures being shown. He said, you know what? I don't want to go back with my wife. My feelings don't want to, but I will do it. Because my Lord said to. Was that a step of faith? That was. That's right. It was a step of faith. 
Trusting in the word of God, even if your emotions don't like it. Trusting in the word of God, even if your experiences don't like it. We trust in the word of God because we know that he is eternally wise and knows what's best for us. So we relinquish our emotion, we relinquish our experience, and we say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Go to Brazil, leave your family. Doesn't make sense. Why don't you stay here and make money, Roger, and stay close to your family? God's leading me that way. You're going to go to a city of one million that had Southern Baptists in it for over a hundred years? Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense, does it? They should already have the gospel all clear. But we got there and we found out real fast the gospel wasn't clear. And we found out that the Lord wanted to plant four or five churches there and save people's lives and transform them. But even if he wouldn't have done that, let's say that Brother Michael goes to Turkey and God doesn't save anyone. Was he supposed to go? If God's leading him, he's supposed to go. I've met guys that worked in the Middle East area, and they can count on their fingers how many people have converted after 35 years of ministry. And in the world of religion, we'd say they were, they were failures. But in the world of God's word, they were what? Faithful. And I'll tell you this, I believe they're more faithful than me. Because I get the joy of seeing results. Man, when I see results, I get excited. And I get more faithful. But what if you don't see results? You know what I mean? Just got to be faithful. And these guys were. Praise God for them. And praise God for the opportunity for us to run the race, laying aside disbelief and unbelief. Well, the third thing I see, and this is the focus of the text, (laughs) verse 2 and 3, but we'll we'll get through it. we, we need to remember, we need to relinquish, and we need to resolve to focus on Jesus. We need to resolve to making a commitment that we are all about Jesus. Okay? We need, as he says here in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In verse 2 and 3, that's what he's going to talk about is Jesus. Okay? And this idea of fixing your eyes is this. It's turning your eyes from other things and putting them on the Lord. It is so important that you're focused on the right thing, folks. Steph Curry, I like him. Maybe you don't like Golden State Warriors. But I like Steph Curry. He's got one of the fastest shots in the NBA. And he's got one of the most accurate. He's got the most three-pointers than anyone in NBA history in, in a season. And, <laughs> and he has, in one game, 13 three-pointers. So if you watch Steph Curry talk about shooting, you know what one of the main things he's going to tell you that's important is that you focus on the goal. You, know, you can't get up and shoot like this. Well, baby, I'm hot tonight, you know. <laughs> no. You have got to be on the go and focused. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that, that our focus needs to be on the goal. It needs to be on Jesus. There's a lady named Florence Chadwick. You ever heard of her? No? Okay. 
She lived a little, a little a few years back. Back in, in the 40s and 50s, she was a big-time swimmer. She was the first lady to swim the English Channel uh, from France to England and England to France. Okay, There was an American woman that did it from one way before her, but she was the first one to do it from both ways. But she wanted to be the first person to swim from the Catalina Islands to California. It's 26 miles of open sea, sharks and everything. So she took off. <laughs> and uh, boats were by her shooting the sharks to make sure they wouldn't get her. Imagine that. Fog had come in thick. And she's going at it. And she finally, the thickness of the fog, she looked up and she was done. She said, I can't make it. I can't do it anymore. Pulled up. This is back in 1952. They found out that she was only a mile away from her goal. In an interview, she said, if I would have seen it, I would have made it. Guarantee you. And later she did. That's how important our focus is. When we don't keep the eyes on Jesus, you're not going to be able to do it by faith. You're not. When you take your eyes off who Jesus of the Bible is, the truth of our Lord, you're not going to make it. You've got to keep your focus on the Lord. Why? Because he is the perfect example. Look at that verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Look at this. The author and perfecter of what? It's our theme of faith. I believe here he's saying this. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. And he lived a life perfect of faith. Put it this way. There is no Christian faith without Jesus. It doesn't exist. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. When I'm struggling, I don't know what to do. I need to think of who? Jesus. See, kids, that Sunday school answer. Okay? We always teach our kids, and the answer is Jesus, Jesus. One time a Sunday school professor got up and said, hey, what's that little thing that's furry, climbs up trees, and a little kid raised his hand and said, Jesus. Okay? All right. It's not. It's a squirrel. But it is true, children, that our whole center of our life and the focus of our life is all about one person. And his name is? Jesus. There you go, man. I like that. See? You guys have become more Baptists every day. <laughs> all right. They used to have those little bracelets, and maybe you still have them. It has WWJD. What would Jesus do? Isn't that a good reminder? What would Jesus do? I know for me, when I'm being tempted, if I just cry out the name of Jesus, it helps me a lot. I say, hey, Jesus, what do you think? Should I look at that bad thing over there? You know, I happen to be in Las Vegas. I'm driving through, business deal. And on one side, it's got these beautiful fountains. And on the other side, we've got some other stuff going on. So, Jesus, what should I do? Guess what? Every time, Jesus responds in my head, and I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, keep your eyes pure, right? I just, that helps me. If I can just cry out the name of Jesus, remind myself that Jesus is here, remind myself what Jesus would want, that helps me a lot. He's the perfect example of faith. 
He did it faithfully. He endured, look what he says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can you see the author concerned about enduring? He says it twice here, verse 2, verse 3, and he says it showing what Jesus endured. Jesus did it. And I'm saying this to you so that you don't grow weary, brothers. I don't want you to grow weary and lose heart. Hold the confidence. Stick close to Jesus. Fix that eyes on him. So let me ask you a question. What is it that's pulling on your life and keeping you from focusing on Jesus? What is it in your life that seems to entangle you up to keep you from running well? Jesus said in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In 1968, the Olympics were being held in Mexico City. A man named John Stephen Aquiry from Tanzania was in the race with 70 other racers. They took off. Everybody thought the marathon was done. There's only a, hundreds of people in the stadium. When all of a sudden a siren went off, and here comes John. And the people looked and could notice. I mean, the guy that passed the finish line was over an hour and five minutes already. And when they looked at John, he had his, there was, you could tell there was blood, and his leg was not good. His shoulder, what had happened, he had fallen, dislocated some things, and hit his shoulder bad. And everybody, the few people there, applauded and cheered him on as he finished the race. Later, they did an interview with him. And he said, dude, you did not have a chance to win. There was no way. You had no conditions. And this was his response, famous response. He said this. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Listen to this. Jesus Christ did not call you into the Christian life to just start the race. Jesus Christ called you so that you will finish the race and finish it faithfully. Let's close our eyes and bow our head. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just want to ask you some questions. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? You truly know him. You've if you were to die today, you know 100% for sure that you have eternal life in Jesus alone. If you're here and you don't have that certainty, 100% certainty, then you need to know Jesus. Now, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. And for us that have trusted in Jesus, let me ask you this. Do you know him better today than yesterday? Are there certain things in your life that are obstacles that are keeping you from running well? 
Are you fixing your eyes on him? Maybe you're here and you're discouraged. And you feel like, why bother? Don't fall in to the sin of, the, of what the enemy wants. Get back up and run. For that is our call. And Jesus will help you. And this body can help you. Father God Almighty, I thank you that we do not run alone. I thank you for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the fellowship of the brethren. I thank you, Lord, for your great grace and mercy. May we please you, O oh God, and run the race of faith faithfully, focused on Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.